Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. Well, good evening. Welcome to Masterclass Theology. As always, I am Big Rev. And I'm still Professor D. You are. We are in a Philippians chapter 1 tonight. And... I have heard it said that Galatians is kind of like the angry Paul and Ephesians is, is kind of like the teaching Paul. And tonight, I've, the same person says that Philippians is kind of the friend Paul. And he seems to be, Philippians is probably many people's favorite book of Paul because he's so happy, so the joy, and it's just, it's very memorable and yeah, we're going to start a Philippians tonight. It was an honor to go through Galatians together and also Ephesians. And so here we are in Philippians chapter 1. And we'll begin with the word of prayer and then we will journey forth. God, thank you for this evening. Thank you for the opportunity we have to be in your word together. I'm so thankful for all those who listen and who journey with us uh, through your word, Lord. We thank you, God, again for the, the, the opportunity you've given us and we we, we don't we don't take this opportunity lightly. We are so very thankful for it. I pray for Professor D and for me. And as we journey tonight, Lord, help us to understand your word and to unpack it. And we pray it in this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I wanted to start tonight. We're looking at the, the, the Philippian, uh, the letter to the Philippian church. And scripture is kind of cool in a certain way tonight where we have the beginning of this church. It starts in the book of Acts, and this is chapter 16, and I'll read verses 11 to 15. It, 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 it reads like this. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis. Well, those are, those are cities I don't know, but Paul's or, or Luke's original readers would have known about them. And from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Professor D, this is the beginning of the Philippian church right here yeah. with these women at that riverside and with Lydia and, and the gals with her. This is where it all begins. So so Paul is, so we, we have this idea. Um, I, I like what, what Luke tells us here about Philippi. It was a leading city of, uh, leading city of this district. Mm -hmm. We're expecting this to be you know, a very important letter to an yep. important place. It was a Roman colony. I believe those are code words that uh, I believe, if I understand correctly, this would be, uh, was it Octavian? This is who the one who'd be called Caesar Augustus. So he had Julius Caesar. I believe he, 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 had a, he was betrayed by Cassius and Brutus. And if I understand correctly, Cassius and Brutus are going to get in a war. And a little bit later on, Mark Antony is going to join this war. And some of these wars are going to happen sort of by Philippi. And then what, what Octavian, what Caesar Augustus, I believe, is going to do is going to take his soldiers and he's going to let them retire in Philippi. He say, okay, this now becomes a Roman colony, so I'm going to take the city and I'm going to bless the city by making everybody here a Roman citizen. Mm -hmm. So it becomes a Roman place now. So everyone gets a blessing of citizenship. And I'm going to take my former soldiers and I'm going to populate the area. Yeah. So this area that became known as a Roman area. This was not just Macedonian, but now it was Roman taking mm -hmm. over. And so now this had dignity. There was respect. There was citizenship. And there was power. And so Philippi became a city of quite prominence. And in a Roman way. And so this would be a way for, so this city would have had a lot of national pride, a lot of, you know, empire pride. It would have been patriotic. And that that's kind of a, that's Philippi. We kind of learned that just from the Roman colony, the idea of it's a leading city. Yeah, so that comes right from Acts 16. 
and we have now Philippians 1. So why don't we open up with the first two verses of Philippians 1, and we'll start asking our questions as, as we are wont to do. Sound okay, Mick? Sounds like the plan. All right, one, uh, Philippians 1, 1 to 2. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so Professor D, so... What do we know here? I know I just shared some information about Philippi, but regarding who, who's writing it, to whom it is written, and your theory on when. All right, so yeah, the writer is Paul. Uh, he includes Timothy in on it, um, just something he does. And right away he identifies himself as the slaves of Christ, because that, that, that word servants could also be translated as slaves of Jesus Christ. And he's writing to believers in Philippi, as you shared from, from Acts chapter 16, they had a church going there. They had a congregation already up and running. Um, we believe this to be during Paul's first Roman imprisonment, not Caesarea. Um, so we believe this to be around 60 to 62 AD. Uh, and this letter, we also believe, was written with at the same time he was writing Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. And um, let's see, was it in this letter? No, it was in Colossians and Ephesians where he actually mentions Tychicus. But... We believe this letter to have been written during that time just because of a lot of the things that he talks about in terms of uh, the details of his imprisonment that he didn't really go into in, in Ephesians, but he goes a little bit more into here. Yeah, I believe he's going to mention the Praetorian Guard. Yes, yes. And that pretty much limits himself to Rome. Yes. Where you would have maybe in Caesarea where you might have elements of Nero's family might be, yeah. and he talks about the family yes. of, of Nero. I mean, it's like, yeah, that's towards the end, yeah. You're not going to have that kind of access to people anywhere but Rome. Right. So it, 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 you could, some commentators do argue for Ephesus being his imprisonment, but yeah. you're not going to have that access. No. It's not going to stand out the way. So I, I think, Mick, you, you've got that right. It's between 60, AD 60 and 62. Yeah. That, that makes the most sense. Yeah, that's you, you nailed it there. And grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's already theologically not mincing words. Mm -hmm. You know, where it's kind of like in Revelation yeah. where we see there's this one who's on the throne and also this lamb is on the throne. Yeah. And so God the Father and God the Son are there there's there's an equality of statement here. Yeah. They're the same the same, you know, they're both God. And yes. so they're one's not just okay God, okay, we'll toss Jesus in. Sure. No, God and you know, God the Father and Jesus. Yeah. Who's the Lord? Amen. So he begins here with a, with a time of thanksgiving, 3 to 8. I thank God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. For you all, making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Wow. So in verses 3 to 5, Paul's thankful. He, he, it describes how Paul was thankful and also why he was thankful. So starting with the how, how is Paul thankful well, for he's them? Praying, he's praying for them. And, you know, This is how he's thankful for them. He's praying for them. Um, you know, as far as the, the why he's thankful for them, it's because of their faithfulness in spreading the gospel from the get-go. Again, we saw this in Acts chapter 16, you know, from Lydia and right immediately her household starts growing it. And obviously by this time, the congregation is a, has obviously grown. He remembers them. Yeah. I like that. He's thanking them, remembering them. And they're always in his prayer. And I, I think that says something very important. It's not just about numbers. It's about people mattering. Mm. Their yep. people matter. Their partnership in the gospel. That's great. Because we looked at that last time in the armor of God mm -hmm. of Ephesians 6. The, the last, uh, our, our, our previous episode was in Ephesians 6. Yeah. And it, he invites the Ephesians to pray for him that they would, that he would have boldness. Mm -hmm. So he was, it was as if he was, he was inviting them through prayer to yeah. enter, enter into his ministry. Yes. And to partner with him in the ministry. Even as he proclaims the gospel, it's like they're with him right. as a partner. And so we see that unfolding right here yeah. where he's celebrating and remembering them and, and thankful for them because of their partnership from the first day. Yeah. And he also plays with the theme of the body doing different mm. parts, but all of it working together as one. 
So it, it, it ties in very nicely when you really think about it. So if you were Lydia, you'd probably feel really good right here because oh, yeah. you, you basically convinced him to stay in your home mm -hmm. and you got to be a patron. Yeah. You, you got, I mean, we have that today where you, people can sign up and be patrons of people who are online and, mm -hmm. and who, who are offering services and you can join their accounts. Yeah. And that was a literal thing here. She was basically a matron. She, yeah. she became somebody who supported his ministry. She was a small business owner. She sold purple. She probably had some funds. Yeah. And she used those funds to care for Paul. And yeah. Paul stayed there and made that the base of operations. And maybe her church was the first location of the, of the Philippian church. Right. Maybe. We, well, I don't know if Scripture tells us. I don't remember. But wow. So maybe she is reading this or hearing this read and re realizing, yes, I played a part in that partnership. Yeah. And Paul's thankful for even me. So verse 6 gives us an important perspective. What is that perspective, Professor Dean? That, that in every facet of salvation, I love this verse. Uh, let me start off by saying that. But that in every facet of salvation, it, it's God working in us and through us. And he's going to see us all the way through. Once God starts something, he doesn't stop. And I think this is just such a wonderful, awesome assurance voice. Mm. He's going to bring it to completion. Yeah. I mean, you know, you think about this, you think about in, in Revelation, we talks, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I, mean, I, was, I am all encompassing. I got this all the way through, you know, from start to finish. God's going to handle our salvation. Mm. Yeah, and you, you, you might be with somebody who you might, you might have somebody in your life who is starting to make some good decisions mm -hmm. and is just starting to see some first fruits of, of what's happening yeah. in their life. And, and, they, and, and they may wonder, well, is this going to continue? Well, God handles his business. Yeah. And God when God starts something, God finishes something. Yeah. And God God is not a God who just plays things by ear. He has that plan A and that plan A comes to fruition. Yeah. It comes to completion and fulfillment. And so God's going to keep working in you. Yeah. Even and I think it's really uh cool to note that this includes even those seasons that that seem like he's not, you know. You know, it's, it reminds me of that song, uh, Waymaker. That, that song seems to be coming up a lot in a lot of the lessons I've been teaching lately. You know, even, even when, when I don't feel it, he's working. Even when I don't see it. Because again, he who, who began the good work is going to finish it. And Paul says, I am sure of this. Yes, yes. So he's not, Paul's not, not wavering. He's no, not hemming no, and hawing here. Not at all. Wow. This is a great verse. This is one of those again, verses. Awesome assurance, man. Awesome assurance. Amen. This is one of those verses from Philippians 1 that... Philippians is known for, for, for verses like this. Yes. Great comforting verses. Yes. A lot of people like to go to Philippians to know how to feel, to yeah. know how to react. Philippians is a really great book of the Bible. It's a very oft-quoted one. That's, that's yeah. for sure. He who began a good work is going to bring it to completion at the day of Jesus. So I, I like that because there's a future element there. We don't know exactly when that day of Jesus Christ yeah. is. and But when all, when all is said and done, it's going to be completed. Yeah. When all the rights are going to be made wrong, when one day, where as Paul would put it later on, uh, yearning for the salvation of your souls, that it's one day going to happen. It's like there's a final element of our salvation where we're not dealing with sin anymore. At this great judgment day of Jesus Christ, the day of the Lord. And, and it's not wishful thinking. It, it's right. all rooted in the reality that Jesus has already done it all. Mm. And I think that's, he, he's going he's gonna to expand on that a bit later. But, you know, yeah. 7 and 8, he talks about, them partaking of things with Paul. They, they are partakers. In verses 7 to 8, Mick, how were they partakers with Paul? Yeah, so Paul says that they shared in his imprisonment and in defending and confirming the gospel. So he'll elaborate in the following chapter um, more specifically regarding his imprisonment, and we're going to see it. So it's a nice thing that Paul always does that. He's a very good writer in that he sets something up and then he builds on it later. He doesn't leave uh, plot threads hanging. And in just a few verses down, he's actually going to talk more about defending and confirming of the gospel. So those are the the the, the two areas where I think he, he's focusing on here, though, as far as the uh, partnership with, with, with the Philippian church. Mm. And, and verse 8 also kind of highlights this last question here, but what was Paul's general opinion of them? Well, he was exceedingly proud of them, and, and he was grateful for them. So he was, he was proud of the things that they were doing, and, and, and he was grateful for that as, as well. Again, he's going to develop this more, especially in the following chapter when, when we get into Epaphroditus. Hmm. Yeah, he has a, a yearning for them that is a very, you know, wholesome kind of yearning. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's not kind of crazy or anything like that, selfish, but he yearns for them with the affection of Christ. I think he just, 
we get the idea of Jesus when he gets to that Passover meal. I've really mm-hmm. eagerly desired to have this meal. Yeah. You know, to have this meal with you. And there is something about Jesus, the desires of Jesus being holy desires, but still powerful desires. Yeah. That's the desire he seems to have here. He's yes. yearning to be with them and he can't be with them because he's in prison. All, All he right. can do is have this letter be with them. And so he's just communicating. That would have that would have felt really good to yeah. receive. You know, you, you're the guy who planted your church is now in prison. You can't do anything about it because it's in a Roman prison yeah. in Caesar's backyard, and there's nothing we can do about it. So it, it, this letter would 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 mean a lot. Right. To hear those things, how he feels about us and our situation is going to unfold. That, well, well, I'll tell you this: I would much rather get this letter than the Galatian one. <laughs> the Galatian letter was a spank. Yeah, Paul was bombastic in that letter. Yeah. It is, so, yes, I, I, I'm definitely all for this letter. 9 to 11, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for, that, for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. So, in verse 9, Mick, how did he want them to grow? Right. It, it always it always encapsulates love, but in, primarily in the knowledge and understanding of Jesus. And as we've emphasized and will keep emphasizing pretty much till the end of our broadcasting days, you know, it's not mm. just knowledge about Jesus, but it's knowing him relationally and intimately. Yeah, we, we see here an idea of in Romans 12 that, that you may be able to test and approve what, mm-hmm. what his good and perfect pleasing will mm-hmm. is. That's based upon a discernment here. Yeah, it's maybe maybe the the spiritual gift that nobody prays for the most. Yeah, but like that really might be one of the best ones to have yeah. to be able to understand how you should be in this in this chaotic and pagan world. I'll give you an example. I mean, there's people who know that I'm a big Superman fan, so they just figure if it's got a Superman S slapped on it or whatever that I want it. And there's so much Superman stuff I get that I really don't want or care for. But the people who are in the know with me tend to be a bit more, they'll start picking my brains just a little before that because they want to make sure they get just the right one. It's not just about, oh, I know he likes Superman. I'm just giving him the Superman thing. I'm and the same way with Star Wars. Yeah. People give me Star Wars stuff <laughs> all the time, no matter what. Yeah. So, And again, that's the difference between knowing about something and actually knowing that. Right. Yeah. Right. I'll, I'll give a big clue. Like one of the things, is, especially in the t-shirt department, I don't like shirts that take up the whole torso. I usually like it where it's just on the chest region. Mm. All these, you mean the Superman logo? Superman logo, gotcha. or even designs in general. But people who don't know me will get me a full-on whole torso shirt, and I'm like, well, I'm, I'm grateful for it. But so the purpose of the growth, he wants them to grow. He's praying for them to grow, and then in verse ten, there's a purpose for their growth. What, what, what is that purpose? Well, the purpose is to be able to live lives that honor God, and and this is an expansion on, on verse six earlier. This is a, a very common thing as, as we've seen already in Galatians and Ephesians of living a life worthy of the calling of salvation. Mm. And he also wanted, wanted them to be a certain way. And in verse 11, he speaks to how do he want them yeah, to be? He, he wants them to be like Jesus, bearing f- the fruit of the Spirit always. Mm. That was Jesus. He was Mr. Fruit of the Spirit all the time. And this is a great verse, a great reminder for us. It, it's a verse of the Bible that never goes out of context. First Corinthians ten thirty one, because mm-hmm. whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, and it's the whatever you do part yeah. that makes us. You can't rip yeah. it out of context. It's impossible to rip yeah. it out of context. Do it all for the glory of God. Right. Here it is, right here. Yeah. To be filled with these things through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Yeah. So if your life is giving glory and praise to God, you're good. Amen. Yeah. And that's that's where you need to be. If that's if if that means you're growing, amen. Yeah. And. Keep growing in a way. What you, some of us who are listening may, may not feel like, well, I'm not growing that much, or I just don't feel like I'm as advanced as other people. Well, let me tell you, my friend, if your life is giving glory and praise to God, you are growing, and you are growing in the right direction. Keep being intentional about that. That is a very, if you can be intentional about one thing in your life, give God glory with your decisions, with every part of you, and praise God. Yeah, that is huge. Him. Seek to know Him. And that's that really is going to now give context for how you know Jesus. Yeah. You're going to grow in Him. And so that you're going to, you know, like in a John 15 way, you're going to bear fruit. Yeah. And, and that's for His glory. It's a, you're going to remain in the vine and bear fruit. Getting to know Jesus for the glory and praise of God. I love that. Yeah. So that was his prayer. He started with, with thanksgiving. And he, he goes to prayer. And then he kind of offers a perspective 
in verses 12 to 14, and, and, and he, he's, because he, he mentions the idea of being imprisoned here. So you're going to give a, a perspective on that. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Wow. So why, why did Paul need to remind them of the result of his imprisonment? Well, Paul didn't want the, the Philippians to become discouraged. Think about it. you got a, a major figure in this Christian movement, and he's, he's in this kind of trial of the century, so to speak. You know, well, not quite trial of the century because that was Jesus's earlier, but but he he's up there. So it, it's very easy that when you see your head figures kind of being taken down in a manner of speaking, to 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 be discouraged. You know, even in Acts, we saw earlier when when John and and uh, Pete and Paul were John and Peter should have said just Peter and John were arrested. You know, they prayed for boldness. You know, because what happens is you're, you're going to get cold feet. You're going to lose heart. So Paul didn't want that happening to the Philippians because of his current circumstances, you know, being arrested. And he didn't want them to lose the momentum in spreading the gospel that he was just talking about so much right now. You know, he wanted that to still go full throttle. Mm. Yeah, and he talks about the gospel advancing. How, how, did he, how does he describe it? How does the gospel advance? Well, people sharing it, you know, with other people and, and, and proclaiming it, you know, nonstop. He says in the Greek, in the whole praetorium. Yeah. So he, in the, the translation I read was the imperial guard. Yeah. yeah, so in Paul's own uh, dire circumstances, you know, not being a free man and literally in chains, he was leading Roman soldiers to, to Christ. And I guess you could say that, that he had a captive audience. And, and this history, even, even outside <laughs> the Bible, will, will bear out. This was a major reason for the expansion of the gospel. And again, this is not just in the Bible. This is outside of the Bible. It shows that... You know, historians will show that this stuff, the Roman soldiers are the people that actually help spread the gospel because they're the ones that can't be arrested, per se. They're the ones that people don't mess with. They have the badge, so they get to kind of, you know, mm. it, you know use their authority in ways that the, the common citizen couldn't do. And, and because of that, the gospel actually spread in the Roman Empire in the years that followed. So he wasn't just with some random soldiers. He was with the Green Berets. Yeah, basically. These are, these are the best of the best. Yeah. And you got to imagine maybe some of their conversations that while they're by themselves in the imprisonment, maybe the soldiers are kind of being real with them. Listen, pal, yeah. you don't have to be here if you don't want to. Yeah. You could call this off. You could, I'm sure, you know, we could talk to, to Caesar for you and you don't have to face death if you don't want to face yeah, death. Yeah, you can take the easy way out. Yeah, they're, I mean, why are you really here? Yeah. I mean, you can imagine because he says here, they all got to know that my imprisonment is for Christ. Yeah. That just tells us that the conversations were happening. Yeah. Where Paul could say, no, no, no. This is because of Jesus. Maybe he didn't go to the full the full nine yards and say, you know what, Jesus told me I had to go to Rome. Yeah. And I had to share, like, okay, he, maybe he didn't talk about that. I don't know, because he's dealing with, you know, Gentiles here or pagans. But people that now were the whole imperial guards hearing of this. Yeah. This is... so. The imprisonment is, is there's something about this. It's, yeah. it's, it's, God, God is using it for yeah, his glory. I like the way somebody else put it in something else. People talk. Yeah. People talk. This is going to somehow leak out. Mm. Well, in 15 to 17, he kind of takes a different tack. He, he almost gets, it's like he brings some rhetoric in here, talking about two different kinds of preachers. Yeah. And, and so we'll just read this 15 to 17. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others for goodwill, from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to inflict me in my imprisonment. So, evidently these are two sets of preachers that are preaching the fact that Paul's in prison. Mm -hmm. So they're using Paul as a sermon illustration. Yeah. The fact that he's in prison, so he's got two different kinds of preachers. So there's a negative and a positive. Let's do with the negative first. Sure. What, what is the first or the negative preacher that Paul describes? Well, there were envious preachers who took advantage of Paul's imprisonment to make a name for themselves. I mean, sadly, this is this is nothing new, and it still goes on today. People who do the right thing for the for the wrong, selfish reasons. Mm. 
and there was a second or a more positive preacher. Who's that person that well, follows Christ? Well, the second Christ? preacher, the, the positive one, is the preacher that generally wants to see people come to Christ. He generally believes in the gospel message uh, and is genuinely grateful for God's grace on them. And he wants to see others transform for the better as well. Wow. So Paul is... Where we've gone tonight, there's there's a time of thanksgiving, a time of prayer. Paul gives some perspective about his imprisonment. He then uses two preachers, and so we could probably understand. There's maybe a little bit of spanking there, a little bit of a little bit of. And I, and I want to highlight too. This is praise going on in imperfect situations, right? You know. And then he, he continues with some reasons to rejoice. This is mm-hmm. eighteen to twenty. And for those of you who've been reading the ESV along with with us here, we realize there's a paragraph break, but oh well. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Wow. So let's do verse 18 first. What was Paul communicating in verse 18? He's about joy. Yeah, so that as far as we're concerned, that, that is we, we as, as people, you know, with Jesus in the conversation, whether it's favorable or not, it's still something the Holy Spirit can use to get the gospel out there. Uh, there there's a saying in the world, there's no such thing as bad publicity. Mm. You know, the idea is always about being in the spotlight, so to speak. Okay, fine. This keeps Jesus in the spotlight. Jesus is the person... There is no other person in human history, you know, you don't even have to be a fan of his, you don't have to be a follower, but there's no person in human history who has been written about, whether great or, or villainous and hellishly, than Jesus Christ. Jesus is the most polarizing, most written about, most talked about, most controversial figure in all of human history. I challenge anyone to tell me who's, who's been written more about than Jesus. Uh, so whether wittingly or not, whether you're an atheist deriding Jesus, you're, even as an atheist deriding Jesus, you're, you're picking someone else's curiosity about Jesus just enough to get them to even look into it. I remember a number of years ago, it, was, it had been a good while ago, I remember Oprah Winfrey had uh, Muhammad Ali on on her, her, her show, and she made some comments. She was trying to prop Muhammad Ali up, and she prop, made, made some quote that, you know, he stands alone. He, more books are coming out about him than about any other person in history. And I remember thinking, I must have been maybe 12 at the time or something. Is Muhammad Ali's been dead for a while. I couldn't have been that old, but I remember thinking, that doesn't sound right. Yeah. I would imagine Jesus takes that role. Yeah. Is that you know, your comments here about human history, Mick. I, I think Jesus, there's more books that have been written oh, about Jesus than about Hands Muhammad. down. Hands down. <laughs> I don't even have to Google that to know that that's a fact at this right. point. But if we, if we were to Google it and really try it, I'm sure we're going to find it. Right. Yeah. Okay, so he then rejoices, but then he, as, as verse 18 kind of bleeds into verse 19, he's yeah. rejoicing further. So what yeah. What gives him further reason to rejoice? So yeah, he mentions deliverance, which, which can also mean salvation. And based on the overall outcome that we know of, I think this may, may have to do more uh, that the Spirit was letting him know in some way that he was going to get this favorable outcome. Mm. You know, there's, there's, there's a myriad of ways that the Spirit could, you know, maybe the, the soldiers say, hey, you know, Honestly, I was talking to so so in the palace. It looks like, you know, you're a shoe in. You're going to be out of here. You know, mm. it's just a. I don't know. I mean, I'm, there I'm using a little bit of that sanctified imagination. But obviously, he's getting a, a, a good feel about what's going on here. Um, Did you say sanctified imagination? There we go. Yes, sanctified imagination. Listeners, that is worth the price of admission right there. So so. Um, Honestly, it's because we've read the book in its entirety, and we know how how this story ends. So we know that. That was playing, and he mentions this as we as you we keep reading the letter. Our biggest problem is trying not to give spoilers out of things that he's going to develop further down the line. But bottom line, he was rejoicing. Mm. Amen. And then in verse twenty, he has this expectation and hope. What's that all about? Yeah. So short of knowing one hundred percent, it looks like he really he's really optimistic about his odds of, of, of making it out of there. Even if the worst happened, he saw all the good. God was had already accomplished through his current circumstances. I mean, even if he died right then and there, he already got to the Roman soldiers. So had Paul's story ended there, which 
which we which we know through history it didn't end there because there were other letters written and other things that happened. Um, just the fact that the Roman soldiers came to Christ was huge, huge. and we talked about this. But but I think it's, it's really cool that even Paul, with all the special revelation that he got from the Holy Spirit, even he didn't know things in exactitude, how they would turn out. And even he had to trust God along the way. Um, and, I, and I just think that that's really cool. I mean, even like... Like the other the apostles, they, they all thought that second coming was going to happen in their lifetime. And right. as they're writing God's revelation, they start realizing, no, God's got a longer game here that we didn't realize. Right. Okay, which goes to show you the greatness of God's mind. And verse 20 would be another, an, another point for Paul's imprisonment being in Rome. Mm-hmm. Because if he was imprisonment in Caesarea or in Ephesus, yeah. the whole life or death thing would be yeah. overplayed here. Because there was a the basic line from the time was Rome holds the sword. Yeah, and so if you're gonna die, I mean, it, it was what the the contemporaries of Jesus had to face. They, yeah. the Pharisees and Sadducees they they couldn't kill Jesus. Yeah, they, they had to bring Pilate in. Right, because Rome held the sword. Right, and so here it makes a lot of sense that life and death is on Paul's mind if he's indeed in Rome. Right. It's like that makes the most sense where Caesar's right there. Yeah, and Caesar could off with his head at a moment or get on the cross or whatever. It could be. But if he was in an Ephesus or some other place, that would feel a little bit stretched. Right. Like they still have to petition Rome or whatever. Yeah. Okay. So this is the fact that he's he's talking about whether by life or by death. Okay. He's got to be in Rome. Yeah. This this is just one more thing. So that dates again the letter AD 60, 62. Something's going on there. But that he's most likely in Rome. We don't know for certain. But yeah. just using the internal evidence of the book, this is just screaming out Rome. Yeah. All right. So life and death now, indeed, 21 to 26. And we have, we start with uh, another extremely famous verse of the Bible. Mm-hmm. So 21 to 26, here we go. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. What does the famous verse 21 mean, Mick? Well, living is about living with and for Jesus through faith. But dying is about living with Jesus face to face. That's mm. the way I've kind of, you know, uh, both are cool. But let's be brutally honest: isn't being with Him the end game? To be with Jesus, right? That that's what we all really long for. You know, I get into George Harrison's uh, slightly skewed, uh, "My sweet Lord, I really want to be with You." And I mean, that should be our yearning at the, you know, but with the right God, which is Jesus, not Harry Christian. You know, we're not actively making it possible. Yeah. We're not taking our life or anything, but right. but in terms of a longing... Yeah, the longing is absolutely there. We want to be with God. I want the suffering to end. Mm. Yeah, I, I've learned to accept it and appreciate it because he's taught me to. And Paul's going to say something similar later in, in this book. I've learned. You know, it's it's not something that comes natural to us. And I think that's part of the process of, of this side of eternity so that right. we can learn these things for the next side of eternity. Yeah, I, but, yeah. I see him really communicating to the soldiers right here. Yeah. Because he has no means to kill himself. Right. Not that he's suicidal. Of course he's not suicidal. But but his words here could be taken yeah. that way. Are you are you actually wanting to die? Well, I'm longing for what death brings. Yeah. And that might have spoken to those Roman soldiers. Yeah. I could see that really being something they would oh, resonate yeah. with. Because they, they they're they're dying for, you know, they're they're living for, you know, strength and honor, the Rome, yeah. a Roman away. And to die in battle is the greatest. So I could see that being an honor statement to them. Yes. That they're really, they, they, they would be able to see through that. Because Paul's not suicidal, but he is longing for what death brings. Yeah. Okay, so we got to continue here. And so, well, you kind of unfolded them a bit. You can go over them again. The, the two choices as they unfolded in Paul's mind, 22 to 24. Yeah, so on this side of eternity, we can make a difference towards the kingdom that we can't once we're on that side of eternity. Mm. Once there, we're there. Um, and it's going to be great, but we can't really contribute the same way we can now. You can't share the gospel. I can't him. share the it's gospel. I, I can make no more difference. I can't impact people's lives in that way anymore. I'll, I'll use the example of our good friend Lula. She runs a marathon for World Vision year in and year out. She's been doing it for a long time. And when she's out there running, 
prior to crossing the finish line, this is the funny thing about Lulu. Instead of being interested in PR, I mean, it's personal record or best, you know, trying to, ooh, how, 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 how short time can I get it done? She'll just slow down. And she's usually, anybody that's running with Lula will see her running back and forth like, damn it, woman, cross the finish line already. But she doesn't do that, you know, because she's out there running and she sees some of the World Vision teammates and she's, she goes and runs alongside them for certain stretches and helps them kind of like, especially when they look like they're kind of losing steam and motivation, she kind of helps see them through. Then she she helps one along, and then she, instead of finishing the race herself, wow. she'll stick around behind, right, still ahead of the finish line, not not crossing that finish line, and because and, and, it's because that's just it, and, and she can do this as long as she doesn't cross the finish lines. Once she crosses the finish line, she can't do it. She sure she's gonna get her medal, she'll get her official time. She'll, but they so, escort her out, right? Yeah, basically they're escorting her out. Basically, once she passes this point, you can't cross it the other way. You know, now you can only go the, this other direction. You can get your medal. You can go to the celebration party at the, the World Vision Tent. Get some water. And, yeah. but, but, you know, you get, you know, what you want to do, but you can't help the people out. And that's kind of the thing with their, and that, that's what, what this life is for us. We can help others finish. It's a great illustration. Yeah, and, and so our main objective is to ultimately to still finish the race, which Lula eventually does, and she claims her medals every, every time. And so do we in, in the eternity sense as well. So how did Paul land the plane in this particular area? Where did he arrive on this? 25 and 26. You know, um, in, in regards to that, uh, he's just basically saying that that we do these things for Jesus and we're others-oriented, you know? And I think I think that's kind of like the big thing that, that I understood from this as I was reading this, you know? That it's a, it's about being others-oriented. Yes, it's there's nothing wrong with wanting to be free from suffering, with wanting to be face-to-face -face with Jesus. Even on this side, when we're not face-to-face -face with Jesus, we're still with Jesus in the sense that the Holy Spirit is with us. Mm. But the fact that we don't take our lives, the fact that we're here, for, we're here also to, to walk alongside other people, I, I, I think that, that that kind of shows part of the reason for, for the struggles we face and part of the reasons for being on this side of eternity. In fact, he says... To, to the to the Philippians, it's more necessary that I remain in the yeah, flesh yeah. for your account. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. It's very others-oriented. Mm. And I think that, that that's a very oft-missed point when we talk about the gospel. Wow. I, I love I love verse 26 as well. He's not because we because we understand Paul, he's not he's not propping himself up here because mm -hmm. that in me you may have ample glory. Ample cause of glory in Christ Jesus. Man, could you see yourself that way? Mm -hmm. Oh, listener, could you see yourself that because of your presence in someone else's life, they are able to know glory in Christ Jesus? Mm -hmm. Could you be that kind of blessing to people? We are not living for yourself. You're instead living to give glory to Christ, like back up in the first section we were at. So Paul's continued physical existence means that the Philippians can glory in Christ Jesus all the more. Right. And I think this, you can see them again. Yeah, and I think this kind of goes along with something like that C.S. Lewis said, you know, in terms of like um, not being selfish is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking less often of yourself. Mm. You know, and I think that Paul's not thinking less of himself. He's just not thinking of himself as the last cook in the desert, in the wilderness. Interesting. You know? Yeah. You know, there's something about that. Yeah, I, that there's something to be said about that, whether it was C.S. Lewis or I think sometimes it's that quote's attributed to Rick Warren out in uh, at Saddleback. Uh, he stole it. Uh, he must have stolen it then. <laughs> but so yeah, I've I've heard it given to both people. So the worthy life, twenty-seven to thirty. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in, in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your, also your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw that I had. And now that you hear, I still have. Wow. Well, this is uh, how did verse twenty-seven communicate the worthy life? What what what's the worthy life? Well, not not unlike Ephesians, especially, but really he mentions it in all his writing. Paul talks about the unity under God. Uh, the he this time the the, the, the 
he emphasizes our identity as, as citizens of heaven. You know, and as believers, we 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 come together under one banner. Hmm. You know, I, I just noticed that the Greek here has only behave as citizens worthy. Instead of only let your manner mm-hmm. be like, as citizens worthy. So what we mentioned about Roman citizenship of Philippi, yeah. every one of them had Roman citizenship granted to them by Caesar Augustus, you know, a generation or two before. And wow. So now citizenship would have been everything. So now behave as citizens now worthy of the gospel. So gospel citizens. Yeah. If I can substitute the word uh, citizenship for membership, uh, there was that one of uh, membership has its privileges. Yeah. And citizenship then has expectations as well. Yeah. Because back to this worthy life means that you to be worthy of this gospel. That you, this gospel as we learned in Ephesians that you were chosen. Yeah. Before the creation of the world, you were predestined. So now yeah. here you are. Now live a worthy life. Yeah. We looked at that back in Ephesians as well. And so, what attributes of the church here are what he was? He, what's he saying? What, what attributes does he want them to have? Well, yeah. So the, he talks about unity. Unity. Yeah. I think that that's the uh, the big one. There is is unity, striving under one mind, side by side, for for the faith of the gospel. I see standing firm. So that goes yep. back to uh-huh. Ephesians six. Yep. Same idea. Yep. The armor of God. You're really mm-hmm. you're, you're to take your stand. Yep. You're, stand and withstand. Mm, that's great stuff. Yeah. And and then he continuing on, he talks about opponents, and that's something surprising about Philippians because we we think of opponents like in this in the sense of Galatians where there was this cultish group that was yeah. leading them astray definitely of, of a jewish origin because they wanted them to add moses to jesus mm-hmm. and then in ephesians he was so focused on the heavenly places and the heavenly realm and so yeah he brings up the idea that no your opponents are actually demonic yeah in ephesians 6 yeah. that our struggle is not against flesh and blood and so here writing to an obvious gentile audience and an obvious roman patriotic rah-rah colony of philippi yeah they're having some opponents here. We yeah. don't know much about them, but they're there. So yeah. what do we, um, this idea of being not frightened about the opponents? Yeah, so, so that's just it. Once you belong to something, there always seems to be those who, who oppose your affiliation. Haters. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, intimidation. Council cultures these days right. is their tactic of choice. So like we, we saw in Ephesians 6, that, as you brought it up, when, when Paul wrote about the armor of God, when the enemy attacked, and, and let's be clear about this, Jesus said, you will be attacked. Right. It's not an if, it, it's, it's, a, it's a when. And he will attack. We, we need to stand firm in our confidence in God and withstand the enemy's attacks. Right. So yeah. It's like Jesus said, if they opposed me... You better believe they're going to come after yeah, you. Yeah, they're going to come after you because you're not above they, they, me. They're going to they're gonna rightly assume you're easy pickings. Right? Yeah. Right? So, yeah. But as we learned last time at the Armor of God, the Christian is not at a disadvantage. No. Because no. we're strong in his strength. Right. And if, so now don't be afraid because there's a double-edged sign. What is the double-edged sign in verse 28? It's a sign to them and a sign to you. What is, what is What's the double-edged side to the sign? So, uh... <laughs> that one was a bit more on the trickier side for me. Uh, so a clear sign, I'll read the verse. Yes. There, there is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. So as you're being opposed by these opponents, don't be frightened because this opposition is the fact that you're not frightened anymore. Yeah. So how would that be a sign against for further destruction? The fact that they're not, you're not frightened of them. And and they they turn because, around because and they realize it, it, it shows truth. your confidence in God and that's the thing that we we that beacon of light that we have. Mm. The light will always overcome the darkness and and the fact that we have confidence in God in the midst of these trying circumstances. Again, he's talking here about you know rejoicing and he's talking about rejoices rejoicing in imperfect situations. I'm in jail. Sure, it doesn't look like I'm going to get the death penalty. In fact, it looks like I'm going to walk soon, but I'm still in jail. It's not a perfect situation. Ideally, I'd rather be good like this and not be in jail. You and I are happy we're not under arrest. You and I are happy that, right. that we're not hiding in some bunker because the government is is hunkering down on us, you know? But by the same token, even if it were hunkering down on us, mm-hmm. we're still to find reasons to rejoice whatever it is. And it's a clear sign of also your salvation from God. Yeah. If, if you're willing to be unfrightened in the case of opponents, your opponents, because you're striving for the gospel. The yeah. gospel is already won. Yeah. So what, what really do you have to be afraid of? Yeah, exactly. I mean, if this is a matter of life and death, I mean, 
even if it comes to death, yeah. even if you're persecuted unto death. Well, going back, what was it, to verse 21, you know? To death is gain. Yeah. I mean, even if they take your life, well, then, I'm sorry this sounds morbid, but, but you're with Christ. Yeah. It's like, you, you get to go to heaven at that point. So yeah. we, we, we soldier on, and we and we, we honor God with with our life, and honor God with our death, and we just every part of us honors God. Look, I, I'm almost 50. Jesus died at the age of 33. I mean, there's something to be said. And obviously, Jesus had a far more amazing life than any other human regardless of how how short or long they live but he was never called professor d you got to right. give him that <laughs> yeah. i got to give you that he's called friend. lord of lords he is he is yeah. so you know and trying then, to prop you up every right. every knee's gonna bow under that name is we're gonna see in the next chapter amen you know so i'm looking forward to that one of the best chapters of the bible one, I mean. one of the best passages man just saying ephesians 2 is great five and philippians 5 2 is great 11 i mean you're talking about really some some real prime real estate scripture here. I mean, you think about the chapter, the second chapter is Galatians 2 has Galatians 2 20. Yeah. Which is a great verse. Ephesians 2 has, you know, but God. Yep. And now, and, and then Philippians 2 is going to have great Christology. Okay. Oh, yeah. All right. So 29, let's, let's, end, let's end this here. So verse 29 to 30, uh, Paul is, there's unity and suffering here. So how, how does that unfold? Well, as far as the unity and, and suffering is that, um, let me look at the verse again. For it has been granted to you that for, for yeah. the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer. Engage in the same conflict that you saw that I had and now that I still, and here that I still have. So they get to suffer, yeah. he gets to suffer. And, and, and again, this goes back to what Jesus told us. We're going to suffer. And, and we've seen this because it, you know he's had to develop this very often. That suffering is 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 the crucible that develops us. It, it's the thing that trains us, and it's the thing that that God uses to bring other people to Him. Mm. I mean, and, and we saw this also when we were teaching First Peter. We are called to suffer. It's part of our calling, but we're also we we also recognize that the calling to suffering is a temporary one that is tied to this lifetime. On the eternal side, there is no more suffering, and the illustration that our church has used is that. We have the jump rope, we have the handle, which represents this side of eternity, mm -hmm. and the jump rope itself, which obviously is finite, but the point that it's trying to make is that it's much far longer, far reaching. There is not going to be any more suffering at that point. Gotcha. You know, and that's the perspective that we need to have. Again, going back to the issue about having the right perspective. See, you can rejoice in the midst of suffering when you have the right perspective, mm. that we already have the victory, that Jesus has done it all, that Jesus has got this from start to finish. Those are, those are not accidental things that Paul's throwing out there. They're very deliberate. And again, and he's doing this, and in God's infinite wisdom, he chose to, to inspire Paul to write these words while he was under arrest. Right. Not a picnic. Good reminders tonight, my friend. How do you land the plane? What are your closing thoughts? Well, my closing thought, verse 6, I, I am certain, confident, sure of this, depending on the translation you're using. This is very important because... As we'll see throughout this letter, and we already see this in our lives, we're going to suffer. And yet, in it all and through it all, we can somehow rejoice. How and why? Um, well, because because we know that God is in control, and he can, he can and he will leverage any circumstance for his glory, first and foremost, and then for our salvation. Um, I, I, I need verse 6 on, on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh Actually, I need them all, but but six has an, an all important is an all important attention grabber for me because because I need to know that God's going to redeem all of my experiences. I need to know that what I'm going through. It's kind of like when John the Baptist was arrested. Hey, was was this all for real? I mean, are you the real deal? Right. I need to know that. This, this is how knowing that Jesus is the real deal redeems a lot of what I go through. Redeems a lot of what I hope most all of us go through. Um, you know, our, our experiences, you know, uh, our, our, our struggles, our, our heartbreaks, you know. That God and, began a good work in you. Yeah, and, and the efforts, you know, and full transparency. I, I struggle with doubts, you know. And, and this verse, honestly, is one of those that constantly comes to mind and, and kind of pushes me through some of those bumps. Maybe not very cleanly or, or beautifully, but but it, it gets me through through a lot of humps that, that, that my mind's landscape can can really go in, the, in in these really crazy spins you know and this is one of those verses that really comes to mind very often wow i was gonna land the plane there myself but since you did and did it so so expertly i'm gonna jump down to verse 27 
and only behave as citizens worthy mm. of the gospel of Christ, or only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And I love that because Paul unfolds what that looks like. It means you're standing firm in one spirit. Mm -hmm. So you're standing firm about the right things, and you're standing firm in a way that's unifying to the ones that are... It's like your main thing is keeping the main thing the main thing. Yeah. And you're standing firm with brothers and sisters who are also keeping the main thing the main thing with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. There's thing, There's fights that need to be had. There's battles that need to be fought. But there's battles that also don't need to be fought. And there's hills that don't need to be died on. This is something where they're striving for the right things for the sake of this very gospel that your life has been called for. Yeah. And so now live in a worthy manner. And so, yeah, you deal with opposition and, and, and you're, you're not going to be frightened. You're going you're gonna to focus on God. But here it is. You're going to be unified and you're going to be uh, standing firm in one unified spirit. And I think that, that's huge. Yeah, I think that you brought up is you'll know if battle's worth it if it if it creates unity or 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 not, we live in a world that's tribalistic. Mm -hmm. That's kind of uses kind of cultural Marxism, where, yeah. where where our groups are we're placed in groups, and our groups we're told to, to hate each other and yeah. to be divided against each yeah. other. And there's so many there's so many groups of people in this Bible that should have that were told that they're supposed to hate each other. You know, we looked at Ephesians last week. Mm -hmm. We're slaves. Don't despise your master. Yeah. They were expected to despise right. their masters. And here, this idea of no, 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 who we have in common is more important than who we than what we don't have in common. Right. We're striving together in unity, side by side, as we're all called and living a life worthy of the gospel. Whether or not a Philippian who was a Roman citizen was next to a slave who was not, yeah. or next to an Ephesian or whoever else, their citizenship is not in Rome. Yeah. Their citizenship is based upon the gospel. And they are to live a life worthy of that citizenship. Yeah. I mean, and he mentions this in every letter thus far. It just does not leave it alone. No. What a great reminder from Philippians chapter 1. It just keeps getting better. It's hard to beat Philippians chapter 2. We'll unpack that next time. This has been Masterclass Theology. I am Big Rev. And I am still Professor D. God bless and we'll catch you next week. Amen. This has been Masterclass Theology. I pray you've been challenged and encouraged during today's episode, and I hope you'll continue to join us as we journey through the Bible. God bless.